in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and there were, they were fighting the waves. <laughs> About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed to uh, programming down the hall for them. And to the rest of you, thank you for being here today at the 9 o'clock service at Community Christian Church. Happy 4th of July as we um, uh, start today. We hope your celebrations are great this weekend with your friends and family. It started in the 1980s. In the 1980s, bright orange Garfield phones began washing up onto a uh, 15-mile stretch on the coastline of Brittany, France. And ever since... Uh, locals have been finding coiled phone cords and receivers and feline heads all across the shore. Beach cleaners would go and pick them up, but every time they did, more Garfield phones and pieces with their mocking smirks would show up, and it had become kind of a catastrophe. You're welcome. The source of the phones was a mystery until there was a news article that caught the attention of a local farmer, and he knew exactly where the cats were coming from. In the mid-1980s, he remembered back uh, that there was a big storm, and after that storm, these orange phones dotted the beach after the storm. And so he and his brother decided to investigate. They combed the rocky coast, and eventually they found a metal shipping container that had fallen off a ship, and it was stuffed with Garfield phones, and it was wedged deep into a sea cave where it couldn't get out. Now, for most of the year, that sea cave is inaccessible because of the tide, but volunteers recently were able to make it inside, and what they were hoping to find was a shipping container still full of phones so that they could prevent any more from getting into the ocean environment, but it wasn't the case. They found the shipping container, and it was absolutely empty. And so the mystery of the Garfield phones has been solved, but nobody is really celebrating. The waves of the sea will continue to cough up Garfields up on the beach, kind of like a cat with a hairball, for many, many years. Today we are in our uh, VBS series, and last week we started our VBS series, and what we're doing is we're taking the five topics that our kids will learn about 
during the week of VBS, and we're kind of pulling them out five weeks ahead of time and discussing these scriptures and topics from an adult point of view as we lead up to VBS. And so you can see behind me the theme for VBS is make waves. And the tagline is real simple, what can you do today to change the world around you? And we have kind of a beach theme going on. And I, I want to congratulate everybody that came in with beach stuff. Uh, I saw lots of uh, really cool uh, beach shirts. And um, I have, I'm doing the CIY thing today, but I did wear the beach, the beach shoes. So uh, uh, I'm hanging in there. And you are welcome to join with us in that theme. And last week we talked about the wave maker, we talked about creation. We're going to talk about in coming weeks the lifesaver, uh, make a, making a splash and loving one another, the ripple effect and how the fruit of the Spirit works in our lives. But today, we're going to catch a wave. And we're going to see in the text that we just read this invitation that God's Son, Jesus, gives us. The text we're in is Matthew chapter 14. And Jesus, in this story, uses a storm... And he uses the wind and he uses the waves to, to wash some things up on the shore and to teach his disciples about themselves and about him. And I think we're going to learn something about ourselves as well, because there's plenty to find in the waves. Let's start, let's start this way, that we are opened up in the waves. Uh, the Garfields that I just talked about show how powerful waves can be, Right? Waves can peel open a shipping container and then scatter plastic pieces all over the coast. And if they can do that, then they can surely open us up too. And I think Jesus knew that about waves. At the beginning of the text, Matthew writes this, that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him. The word made means that he compelled them. He forced them is another way to say it. And so his disciples get into a boat and they start without him. He goes up to, on a mountain to pray, and they start rowing across the Sea of Galilee at the command and at the compulsion of Jesus. And we read that their trip is dark. It's at night. The sea is rough. The waves begin beating against them because there's a super strong wind. And that sounds like a storm to me. And so I want you to look at what's happening. These guys obey Jesus, and as a result, they get a storm. They get darkness, they get wind, they get rough seas, they get left alone. They obeyed, but they still get the difficult way. Isn't that a scenario that you've brought up to God? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, I, I obeyed. Why, why this? I, I, I went, right? I joined I read, I prayed, I gave, I loved, I served, and I still get this. It's one thing to get the storm when we disobey. See, we understand that. We expect that. We, we read about the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament, and he disobeys. He runs away from God, and he gets a life-threatening storm. He gets tossed overboard, and we can understand that. Of course, that's easy to see. You disobey, you, you, get, a, you get a storm. What's hard to calculate is why we get storms even when we follow orders and obey. But we see it everywhere. Moses obeys God, and he gets uh, the Red Sea in front of him and all of Egypt's army behind him. 
Daniel obeys and he gets locked in with hungry lions. Paul obeys and he is left, uh, he is stoned and left for dead. The disciples in this text are obeying and they get pushed right into a storm. And Jesus himself is not exempt from this idea. The Son of God obeys his Father and leaves the riches of heaven to become a frail human that is wrapped in flesh. And what does he get for his obedience to his Father? He gets a cross. Following God means that sometimes he will purposely compel us into the storms, just like he compels his disciples into the storm here. Now, why is that? There's a parable that Jesus talks about and tells about two men who build two houses. And Jesus says in that story that one man built his house on the sand and the other man built his house on the rock, and both of them were sent into the storm. And what the storm did was it revealed their foundations. The storm is one of the only ways that you'll know where your real foundation is and whether your foundation will hold up. A storm comes for both of these people who build, and one house falls and one house stands firm. And so where is your foundation today? That's one of the reasons that God will send you into a storm, so that you will find out where your foundation really is. Because here's the deal. If you build your life on beauty, there's a storm coming. It's called age and wrinkles. It's coming, right? If Some of you know this. If you build your life on your bank account, there's a storm of recession that might come. There's a storm of inflation that might come. If you build your life on your talent and ability, at some point, there might be the storm of somebody else coming along that's better with more talent and more ob ability than you. If you build your life on true love, if I only find him or her, then there's maybe the storm of rejection or the storm of singleness or the storm of no dates for you. If you build your life on your family, there's the storm of kids or there's the storm of no kids or there's the storm of kids who end up rejecting you. When storms come, they expose your foundation. They show you what you're really relying on to hold you up. And so Jesus sends storms into your life because he does not want us to be unstable people. He does not want us to be dashed about by every wind. He says, I am the real rock. I am the only foundation that will not let you down. I'm the only one where there's real safety. Would you build your life on me? And he sends us into storms sometimes to open us up. And he puts waves in front of us to beat against us so that we'll see that he is God and no one else is. The, the idea here is to begin to see your storms in the right way, to, to view them and see them as useful and helpful, even though they might seem scary and painful. God knows what he's doing. The idea is to be like uh, the five-year-old little girl one night during a thunderstorm, there is lightning flashing and there's wind howling and there's rain pour pouring and there's thunder roaring. And her dad went in to check on her in her room and he opened the door to her room and he found his little girl standing on the windowsill, leaning spread eagle against the glass. And he laughed 
And he said, what are you doing? And she said, I think God's trying to take my picture. <laughs> I love that. Storms will come, right? But knowing we're in them at God's request is to also know that we're in the right place, even if it doesn't feel like we're in the right place. Being the worst circumstance with God is better than being in the best circumstance without Him. We are opened up in the waves and they expose what we really believe. Also here is this, we are invited through the waves. We're invited through the waves. Jesus sent his disciples out into the storm, and they're, they're struggling against the wind and the waves, but he does not forget them. From the disciples' eyes, it seems as though Jesus is far off, abandoning them and unaware and unconcerned. But the reality is he's just up on a mountain praying, and he's never far from them. He never is away from them. He always sees them, and he always sees us in our need. And so Matthew writes that it's during the fourth watch of the night, and that's just the hour that no one should be awake, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And we read that the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming to them, and they were terrified. The word means they were distressed, they were troubled, they were acutely aware of the danger that they were in. But I want you to note when they became terrified. See, there are enough guys in this boat who are experienced fishermen and sailors that they are used to the boat, they're used to the sea, they're used to the storms, they're expected, they're part of the deal, even in the dark, even at night. This is not a situation that they've never encountered before. Yes, it's hard, yes, it's a struggle, but it's a storm just like all of the others that they've ever experienced, and they're not terrified yet. The moment they get terrified, that they get shaken, that they get stirred, that they realize that there's peril in front of them is when Jesus shows up. When they first see him, they think he's a ghost. I want you to think about that. Here's a bunch of guys battling a storm in a boat and they look starboard and they see a figure or a person out in the storm walking on the water. What would your first thought be? And at the very least, they realize that they are in the presence of something beyond them. Something supernatural is going on here. Something with way more power than they have witnessed, even having followed Jesus around so far. This is something transcendent from another world, and it's terrifying. To be terrified is the normal human response when you think you see a ghost. And Jesus sees this fear. And he immediately says, immediately, hey, hey guys, whoa, 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 whoa. Start, sorry to startle you, it's, it's me. Your, your heart attack can be over, I'm not a ghost, I'm someone you know really well walking on the water, don't be afraid. Now, this story is told in Mark and John also, uh, the other gospels, but Matthew is the only one who gives us this little story within the story about Peter. Peter is in the boat with everybody else, all the other disciples, and he makes this weird little request when they see this ghost. He says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. Now, there's been one other story like this already. Back in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is with the disciples and they're all on a boat together, but Jesus 
is asleep in the boat, and a storm kicks up, and the disciples uh, wake Jesus up because they think they're going to die in this storm, and Jesus gets up, and he just stands up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves and the sea, and there was nothing but calm after he did that. But Jesus was in the boat, and so in a way, Peter has been here before. He, maybe he's remembering this. I remember when the sea got rough and, the, and we were terrified and Jesus was in the boat, but he stood up and he saved the day and he calmed the storm. So that's already happened. Maybe Peter is thinking in his mind, I've seen this movie already. I know how this works. If this is Jesus, then Jesus is here in the storm with us just like he was last time. He came to us and what he's going to do is make the wind disappear in the sea like glass and then when the storm is over, he'll call me out to him. It's a theory. Maybe that's what was in Peter's head. We don't know, but here's what we do know. Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, even if Peter is thinking that he would, Jesus doesn't calm the storm before he calls Peter out of the boat. That's amazing to me. He just says, Peter, come. And now Peter has a choice. The storm is still raging. And his choice is, do I really get out of the boat? And on top of that, in the middle of a storm? Maybe you've had that kind of invitation from Jesus. Jesus is out there, and you can hear him calling. Would you come to me for salvation? Would you come to me and make me Lord of your life in belief and repentance and in baptism? Maybe you've heard Jesus say, would you come to me? Would you come to me and join your family, the church? Would you be involved? Maybe you've heard him say, would you come to me to a deeper relationship? I want to talk to you in prayer. I want to teach you in scripture. I want to love you in worship. Maybe you've heard him call you to those things. Maybe, maybe Jesus is out there on the waves and the wind and he's calling you. I want you to come to your purpose. You have something to give. You could serve. You could teach. You could get in a group where you're known and so that you can know and be known. You could even start a group so that people are known. He's calling you. He's inviting you right now to something. Whatever that next step is, he's inviting all of us to something. And there we are on the edge of the boat, and Jesus is inviting us through the waves. And what we see is that there's a storm still going on. It's rainy and windy. So not only is it I don't know if I should get out of the boat, but in this storm, I mean, come on. I mean, I hear the invite, Jesus. I would love to, but man, my schedule is really loaded right now. Or Jesus, I, I hear the invite. I would love to, but finally, my schedule isn't loaded. I'd like to keep it that way. I'd love to help on the worship team, but it's just been so long since I've been in front of people. Yeah, I'm a teacher, but man, teaching the Bible is just a different dog. I'm not sure that I know enough. A group? Oh man, getting involved in a group sounds great. Do I actually have to be there? <laughs> do I need to do the baptism thing? I just, I just want to wait till the perfect time. And here's the truth that Peter will tell you. 
There's never a perfect time to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm, but there's always the right time. And the right time is when Jesus says, come. And so Peter does. He hops out of the boat, and it's the most ridiculous thing that he could do in that moment, but it's also the safest thing that he could do in that moment because Jesus had commanded it. And whatever Jesus commands happens. And so even in the middle of the storm, these massive waves, at this point, it's about faith. And Peter not only has faith to jump out of the boat, but he had that faith because he had faith in the only thing that was greater than the storm in that moment. And Peter finds faith in what Jesus does and what Jesus says. Real quick, look at what Jesus does. Matthew gives us this little point that Jesus was walking on the sea, on the sea. That, that doesn't seem like much when we read it, but it is everything. And the clue is the word for walking. It's the very normal, everyday word for walking. The word could almost mean to stroll about. It's a word that could really mean sightseeing. Imagine that kind of demeanor that Jesus has as he's walking out in this dark, windy, raging storm on the waves. Jesus comes to them just strolling on the sea. And it tells us that Jesus has absolutely every power over the storm. And the most uncontrollable force in the world has absolutely no power over him. He's not just walking on water, but on the storm itself. Then look at what Jesus says. He says, it is I do not be afraid, verse 27. And what he really says can't be translated exactly. If so, it wouldn't make much sense. So what he says is ego me. Don't be afraid. He doesn't say it is I. What he says is ego me. It's literally I am. And Jesus says to them, I am. Do not be afraid. And almost nobody doubts what that means. Uh, back in the Old Testament, when God sent Moses off to Pharaoh to free the people of Israel, Moses says to God, okay, when I go, who should I say sent me? And he's asking God, who are you? What's your name? And God says, say that the I am sent you. What God is saying in this name is that I always am. There is no will be with God. He has no beginning. He has no cause. There is no I was with God. He has no end. He cannot change. He's perfect. He needs nothing. He's dependent on nothing. He always just is. He's not a being. He is being itself. He does not exist. He is existence itself. And so Moses, when they ask my name, tell them that being itself sent you. I am, that's my name. And so when Jesus says, I am here in the middle of the storm, as he's walking on the storm, what is he saying? I'm God. I am the indefinitely exalted above the universe transcendent one. I am the one who created the world. I am the one who sustains it at every moment. I am the one without beginning and without end. Look at what I'm doing that only God could do. I'm over the storm. And then look at what I'm claiming, only what God himself would claim, that I am existence itself. And I'm on your side. And I'm here. 
So don't be afraid. Peter saw what Jesus was doing and heard what Jesus was saying, and he knew that the closer he was to Jesus, the better off he would be. There's a family at the public swimming pool, and dad is down at the deep end of the pool by the diving board, and he's swimming around, and his four-year-old comes tottering over to the shallow end of the pool, and she can't swim yet, but she wears some of those big orange floaties on her arms, right? She can't sink with those huge things on her arms, and so she hops down the steps, and as soon as she gets out into the three-foot-deep water, she says, Daddy, I'm scared. I want to come to where you are. And he laughs, and he says, it's a lot deeper down here. And she says, I don't care. I just want to be where you are. And he says, okay, all right, come on. She begins to dog paddle across the pool through the three foot and then the six foot and then the nine foot. And finally, she's in 12 foot deep water. And when she gets to her dad, she grabs his neck and the look of panic on her face gives way to relief. And next to her father, she feels secure. And it makes very little difference to her how deep or how dangerous the water is. That's Peter. That's Peter when he jumped out of the boat. And that's the lesson that we need. Following Jesus means that I trust him so much that I'd rather be in the same dangerous waters that he compelled me to than the safe boat that my heart would have chosen otherwise. We are invited by Jesus today. And that invitation comes through the waves, through the storm. Your orange floaties aren't going to do much. Would you find your security in the God who walks on the storm? We're opened up by the waves. We're invited through the waves. One last thought, we are saved out of the waves. We're saved out of the waves. Peter's walk in the storm is going well. He's on his way out to Jesus, but then we read that something goes wrong. He begins to sink in the water. This supernatural thing that God allows Peter to do wasn't working anymore, and Jesus tells us exactly why. Jesus describes Peter's issue in the word doubt. Why did you doubt? Doubt is literally to be divided into two. And Matthew tells us what divided Peter's attention. It was the wind. He saw the wind. See, as long as Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, he is able to walk on the water too, which means Jesus' power of the storm is being transferred to Peter as long as Peter will keep his eyes on Jesus. But, but he couldn't do it. He began to think about all the things that could go wrong. He began to see the wind. He began to think about the disaster that the wind could bring. And he doubted. His thoughts were no longer just on Jesus, but they were divided in two, and he began to sink. Whenever our thinking is divided in two, it's generally because we've given the storm too much credit and Jesus' words too little. Peter does absolutely the right thing. Once he knew he was sinking, he cries out. He didn't wait until he was drowning to yell. He, when he begins to sink, he cries, save me. And Jesus reaches through the storm. Note that the storm is still going. He hasn't done anything about it. The storm is still going. He reaches through the storm and he pulls Peter up to the surface again and saves him. And the two walk on the water back to the boat together. And it is not until they both climb back into the boat that the waves stop. 
Chaos may reign at times, but Jesus reigns over the chaos. He walks on the storm. He's over it all. He's so powerful that he just takes a stroll through this storm to help his friends. And this is the God that we have that reaches out to save us too. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Jonah. We talked about it just briefly earlier. And this story is about a prophet who runs from God. He runs as far as he can, actually. God invites him to preach to a people in a certain city, but all he can see in that invitation is the storm. Nope, I'm not going there, God. I'm not getting out of that boat, just the opposite. I'm going to get on another boat, and I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction, and he does. He hops on a boat, and he starts sailing away from God's invitation, and as he's out in the boat with sailors that he does not know, running from God, an incredible storm comes up. And all the sailors on the boat are terrified, just like the disciples are in our text here. They know that the storm has been sent as some, a punishment against someone. They just don't know who it is. And so they're, they're trying to figure this out. And finally, Jonah raises his hand and says, it's me. This is the storm that I deserve. I've sinned by running from the invitation of God. I know that the only way to calm this storm is for me to give my life to it. And so here's what you need to do. You need to throw me into the storm. And that's what they did. They throw Jonah overboard and immediately the storm stopped and the sailors are saved. And that's just chapter one in the book of Jonah. It's a really cool story. You should read the rest of it. There's a big fish. One of the things Jesus says about himself in Matthew is this, and it's surprising. He says, the greater Jonah is here. He's talking about himself. He is the ultimate Jonah. Just as the story of Jonah goes, the story of Jesus goes even more. And what that means is this, that in all the storms of life, whether they are literal storms off of a coast that sink ships or there's storms in the middle of Kansas that topple houses or trees or, or whether they're figurative storms that come for our hearts. It doesn't matter what kind of storm it is. Every storm we encounter is because we have run the other way from God. Every storm that gets the best of us is because our focus has been divided in two. And the whole world is broken. It does not work because of our rebellion. And every one of us deserve to be thrown into the storm. But Jesus comes and he says, I am the ultimate Jonah. Throw me in instead. Let me walk into the storm. The most obvious thing that Jesus does in this story is that he walks into the waves. It's easy to miss. The text doesn't really clearly say it, but it's so clearly obvious. At first, he hasn't come to his disciples. He's up praying. He sends them off. He's on the mountain praying, and, but then he sees their distress, and he comes out to them. And in order to do that, he has to walk right into the storm. And only by walking into the storm can he save them out of the waves. And he does the same for us. The ultimate Jonah has come. Jesus can save us from every storm only because he threw himself into the ultimate storm. On the cross, Jesus threw him, himself right into the middle of God's wrath and justice so that you could have peace with God today. He took a beating 
from the waves so that we could have calm waters. He did that for you. He walked into the waves to save you out of them. And the invitation for the whole week of VBS is, is very simple. It just goes like this. What you do today can change the world around you. What you do today can change the world around you. What is Jesus calling you to, to, to today? What is his invitation to you today? Whatever it is, would you listen through the wind and through the waves, through the storm around you? And would you hear God's voice saying, I am, don't be afraid. And would you hop out of the boat? Because wherever your father calls you, is the best place to be, even if it's in the deep end. God, we thank you that you call us even today. You call us to salvation. You call us to greater life. You call us to a deeper relationship. You call us to a greater community. You call us to service and to purpose and to love and to peace and to joy. And Father, help us to respond to those calls. We might have a lot of excuses going on around us, but let us jump out of the boat. Let us grab your neck because we're safer there than anywhere else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.